1: Welcome to I'm In, the Institute of Hospitality's official podcast sponsored by Caterer.com and the Savoy Educational Trust and hosted by me, Phil Street, FIH. Today we're talking about redundancy and joining me to unpack this under-discussed topic, we have Giovanna Zakanda, AIH, Anna Ofiero, MIH and Nassar Khalil, FIH. As always, a huge thank you to all three of them for giving up their time and opinion. So to find out if redundancy is indispensable, let's get to it. Hello and welcome to the next episode of I'm In, the Institute of Hospitality's official podcast hosted by me, Phil Street, FIH, and sponsored by the thecaterer.com and the Savoy Educational Trust. As always, I'm once again joined by three wonderful humans from within the IOH membership who are all very kindly giving up their time to chat to me today. So we'll go straight into the fellowship. We have Nassar Khalil, the CEO of Rogue City Hotels and Henley Holmes. Nassar, welcome.
2: Many thanks, uh, Phil. It's good to be with you today. Good man. Yeah, how are you? I'm all right. I'm good, thank you. And a pleasure to join you and my colleagues who are contributing to this podcast today.
1: Excellent. Yes, well, it's it's great to have you too. Where, Where are you
2: recording from today? I'm recording from my London office here in central London, where I am today when I'm not traveling to visit my various hotel sites.
1: Very good. Yes. And well, for the uninitiated, please just uh, give us a
2: a little snapshot of uh, what Rogue City Hotels are all about. Well, thank you, uh, Phil. Yeah, Rogue City is a fairly new entity. Uh, I started it back in 2016. And what it is, is is a new breed of hotels that I'm now developing that are like no others you've got uh, within the hotel scene today. And the, the, the idea is uh, having worked in mainstream conventional hotels, Rock City and the clue is in the name, is actually to disrupt the current hotel scene. It's a challenger brand that basically provides what I think uh, having worked in various uh, hotel formations, this would disrupt the hotel scene as you know it today. So we focus on what guests want I know that's a cliche, but actually, in my case, I try and make it real. We edit out all of the bits that guests get charged for, but otherwise don't use, unless they know they are going to a hotel, short as the one Anna will be working in the peninsula, wherein they want all the bells and whistles. With Rock City, you really get what you want, and you only pay for what you use. We take away the F&B elements that you would otherwise find in conventional hotels. And we focus on the common commodity, which is the uh, bedroom, make it as five star as it can be, uh, but also ensuring that guests do get value for money, make sure it's technology-rich, uh, make sure your check-in process is pain, painless or pain-free. However, you look at it, by them checking in in advance, they still have 24-7 reception and concierge, they still have maid service, and they still have duty management twenty-four hours a day, but unlike other hotels, they wouldn't have all of the unused kind of cost zones that comes with city center hotels that are hardly used today. So we want to provide an alternative, if you like, to you know mainstream hotels. Yeah,
1: very exciting. And I, I had a little mooch around your website before we uh, turned the microphone on, and it looks like you're kind of restoring existing properties that
2: you know that need a little bit of a lift Uh, that is correct in fact part of my modus operandi if you like is actually to only select properties that do have that historic feel in them so if you look at Cambridge for example it 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 was built by Thomas Hobson the father of Cambridge uh, who created the waterworks in Cambridge it has gone through a whole variety of different states in its life, uh, from Thomas using it to lease out horses, that's where the, uh, the phrase uh, Hobson's Choice comes from, right in that building, and then it became a police station, I mean, in fact, protecting the constable's office, which is going to be our meeting room within the hotel, and it screams out boutique, it's historic, I mean, the facade is like no other in Cambridge, and uh, that was one of the reasons I acquired that building. Same with Glasgow, uh, it's a very historic building. It's uh, a mini Harrods, if you like, in it's look and feel. And again, I want to bring it back to life to make sure it's one of the best hotels in the city of Glasgow. The building that I've bought in Perth is actually the, the old council offices, one to five high Street in Perth. and. Uh, It's full of turrets, full of history, the stained glass windows in that building, they're like no as I've seen. And again, it's about making sure it's accessible to the public, it has a new lease of life that everyone can enjoy. Obviously in London, the, the building I've acquired in Kensington, it's a historic townhouse made up of five actually townhouses that is going to deliver about 82 keys. So, and then finally the one in the Highlands I've got, it used to be a shooting lodge, which was used, as I understand it, by Churchill once, and then Queen Victoria. And again, I've spent just under six million pounds to bring it back to life with 32 suites and two restaurants and the like, making it one of the best hotels in the Highlands today, competing with Trump Tonbury and Glen Eagles and just been voted by Glamour magazine as one of the best luxury hotels in Scotland. Fantastic. So I, I think we're trying to provide something that is different to, as I said, to what guests expect today. Yeah, well, that sounds
1: incredibly exciting. And um, yeah, I wish you all the best with, uh, with the plans. It sounds like you're, you've are you got a busy time ahead of you. Yeah, for indeed. For sure. Thank you, Phil. <laughs> No problem. And next up from within the MIH ranks, we have Anna Ofiero. Uh, Now, have I pronounced that right? Yeah,
3: yeah, that's fine. Thank you.
1: (laughs) Excellent. Good start. Uh, And Anna is the People and Culture Manager at the Peninsula London, uh, which is one of London's most exciting upcoming openings. Welcome, Anna.
3: Thank you so much, Phil. It's an honour to be here today. Really excited to chat to you and to all our other colleagues on on the call
1: fantastic yeah where are you recording from today i heard a plane taking off earlier <laughs>
3: <laughs> not at the airport unfortunately uh, my holiday is not coming up anytime soon Yeah. but i'm actually working from home and it's rather warm today so the window's a little bit open so that's what you hear
1: <laughs> yeah we can't escape this heat wave yet can we it's not <laughs> we're not quite not quite there. and Nor should we want to. Yeah. I, we'll just put that out there but anyway, because we'll just be moaning about the rain in the not too distant future. <laughs> uh, in any case, so how how tell us a little bit about the, the Peninsula London. As I said, it is uh, one of the most exciting openings uh, on the horizon in London.
3: It is very exciting indeed. I've actually just recently joined the Peninsula just a few months ago. So I'm very excited to be part of the team uh, it's my first pre-opening prior to that, I was working for Hilton London Bankside. Prior to that, I was working for Marriott, Park Lane, and then before that at the at the Royal Garden, holding several uh, HR, people and culture roles throughout. But yes, I'm very excited about the new role and, and definitely about the new openings in London.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Well, we were talking before we turned the microphone on, weren't we, about uh, all of the the various projects that are coming. Yeah, online. London
3: is becoming yeah. a very exciting place for for hospitality.
1: Yeah, no doubt. I think it was already pretty good. <laughs> <But> it's, uh, <laughs> it's going into the stratosphere now. But yes. Uh, well, you're you're very very welcome, and thank you very much for for giving up your time. As I say, especially as you jumped in at the the last minute as well. And finally, from within our AIH members, we have Giovanna Zakanda, who Hello. is currently an F&B team member at the Doubletree by Hilton in Milton Keynes. Welcome.
0: Hello, thank you for having me.
1: You're very, very welcome. How's things with you?
0: Yeah, things are going good. And I'm currently working at Doubletree by Hilton Hotel as a food and beverage team member.
1: Yeah, and it's uh, that's that hotel is right on the MK Don's... Stadium, I think, isn't it?
0: Yes, it's on MK Dodd Stadium and there's football today. Is there really? Yeah.
1: Excellent. Oh, just yeah, open your window so that we can uh, hear what the uh, what the latest score is. <laughs> so are you are you recording from the hotel today?
0: No, I'm at home.
1: Good stuff. Well you're all very, very welcome and I much appreciate you all giving up your time. I'm gonna come back to you, Nazar, to ask you the, the age old question and one of the reasons the podcast exists. Why did you say I'm in to the IOH? First of
2: all, the Institute of Hospitality is, for me, something that goes back even before the name change. And I feel that if there is anything that represents hoteliers and what we stand for, or like other bodies, professional bodies, like, you know, you've got physiotherapists that do have the HTPC, you've got doctors that do have their you know, uh, medical bodies, uh, you've got all sorts of professions that are well represented. Hospitality, which I know some people think is not so much of a profession, but actually to me, uh, having studied business before I went into hospitality is as much a profession as anything else, because that's all, that's all I've known. So to, to have a body that one can relate to, one can use, and especially the, the, the purpose it provides today to youngsters. I mean, I've been mentoring a number of people through the institute to motivate them, to give them a sense of purpose, to give them hope, to guide them through, you know, their careers. Provides uh, an absolute amazing platform with which that people can look forward and have a sense of belonging. And to add to that, I actually feel that going forward, there's a lot more it can do with its new chief executive, who is quite forward thinking, uh, has a lot of ideas, wants to play a role that is much more than what the Institute used to stand for. And I'm certainly a great supporter of it. I'll always do my best to do whatever I can to support it going forward. Fantastic. Yeah. And I, I agree
1: with you. I think the, the energy around it at the moment is uh, is extreme. Uh, in a good way and um, yeah I mean in in terms of what what he's done and here we go again another Robert Richardson loving but um, what he's done since he's been in the uh, in the the helm is it's transformed its direction of travel I think and there's a lot more excitement around it a lot more to look forward to and I think from his perspective I think he, he thinks he's just getting started so very interesting times
2: Indeed, and he's he's quite hands-on, which I really like, and he's he's very approachable, which I think for youngsters it gives them a lot of hope, and for someone who lectures hospitality and motivate people to go into the industry, I think it's those sort of characters we need at the top. So you know, from my point of view, it, it, it's ten out of ten for for Rob at the moment. Yes, but don't rest,
1: Robert. Don't don't take that ten out of ten and leave it there. He'll be listening to this. So um, so yeah, that's my message to him in any case. Uh, excellent. Okay. And Anna, why did you say I'm in to the IOH?
3: I think it's um, one of the beauties of, of our industries is that we have such wonderful associations. So I definitely said I'm in just to be part of these associations. And obviously, you know, giving back. I know that uh, the Institute of Hospitality has some great mentorship programs that would love to be more involved in but really just to be part of the networking and the community that the institute offers obviously you guys already said how great robert is doing and he is doing a great job but you know it's people like you phil that contribute so much to to our industry to really get people connected and thinking about the important questions
1: bless you that might be the nicest thing anyone's ever said on this podcast (laughs) Thank you. Well, that's definitely staying in. I'm not going to edit that out uh, for for sure. Uh, uh, No, that's very kind. And I uh, no, I, you know, I think this is the thing for me as a as I've been a, a member and now a fellow as a fellow last made a fellow last year. And for me, it's always been and maybe this is something that happens as you kind of, I want to say, get a little bit older. I'm not that old, is that you start to think about how can you give back? And that's a massive part for me. And that's kind of one of the reasons why I enjoy doing this podcast is, is that I've always enjoyed talking to people, so let's talk about stuff that needs to get talked about, and that's you. Know, hopefully, we're going to talk about another subject today that, that that fits that description. But I think if if more of us just gave back, even ever so slightly, yeah. think about what the the power that that would bring to the, to the industry. So no, I, I hear you hundred percent. I think that's a, it's a really good comment. And then Giovanna, why did you say I'm in to the IOH? You're you're an AIH, you've not been a member for that long.
0: Yes, because i I became a member this year on February.
1: Okay. And that's yep. when
0: I received my certificate from the IOH. And the reason why that I'm in into Institute of Hospitality because there is so much that I've learned and especially the people that I met this year in Mentoring Me session and the event. Recently, three months ago, I went to the AIH Youth Council event in Hilton Hotel in London this year, meeting new people from different backgrounds and talking about university and future career progression. And I had a great time and I learned a lot about the hospitality industry and being an AIH it still means that I'm still in the beginning of my career.
1: Yeah, but I, I think you you touch on a really good point there in terms of, and this is another thing that I, I think is wonderful that's been implemented uh, in the last year, is now that we do have a, a youth council, which in the main takes the voice of the AIH membership, which perhaps wasn't really listened to or given the forum to discuss things in the past. But actually, mm. you know what? It doesn't really matter if you're just starting out in this industry or whether you've been in this industry for 50 years you have opinions and you have ideas as well and you're also let's let's have them all nobody in isolation has the answers to everything so you know let's just listen to uh, to everyone and and get everybody's thoughts and and that's for me why the, the you know the youth council has been such a revelation
0: that's true
1: Excellent. Right. Well, I think without further ado, it's time to get stuck into today's topic. So, well, this is all about the, I used to call this the dreaded R word, redundancy. I think it is a topic that doesn't get nearly enough discussion. And I think it can be sometimes thought of as quite a negative thing to experience, to dish out. So I just, I wanted to kind of discuss that really today. And so our headline topic is redundancy is expensive but is it indispensable? And before we kind of answer that, we're just going to go through a few questions around the topic first. So I would say just a very general question to anybody who wants to jump in on this. What are your general thoughts on redundancy as a concept? For
2: me, it's a necessary evil. And uh, sometimes it's unavoidable. But Wherever possible, where it can be avoided, it needs to be avoided uh, for a number of reasons, Phil. Because from a, a business owner's perspective, it takes a lot more to train, to you know, recruit, to basically identify the right people. And all of that combined, if you've got someone who is doing the job, it may be the case that that position has become redundant for whatever reason. But if they can be moved or seconded within the organization into another role, I find that a lot more appealing than to let them go. Having said that, sometimes you have to, uh, simply because you don't have another choice as a business. Take the uh, the pandemic, for example. Yeah. I, from a business owner's perspective, did everything I can not to make a single person redundant. And I managed to achieve that through... You know, the follow scheme through, you know, some sort of temporary arrangement on, on, on work hours and remuneration, uh, but I managed to retain pretty much everyone that works for me. Unfortunately, other companies did not because, and for good reason, because they just were not able, given their size or the way they work, they were not able to do that. And I do understand why they did what they did. So from my point of view uh it's there because sometimes it's needed as a business you have to utilize that but where possible I think it should be avoided.
1: Yeah, I I hear you. It's one of those things as a business you've got to get try and get the balance right, haven't you? Because the uh you know if 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 your numbers are not adding up and you're basically going to cripple yourself financially to the point where there's not going to be a business then you know that there has to be a, a, a method, I suppose, to to be able to help the business survive, kind of regroup and then go again. And that's what a lot of us did through through the pandemic, right? I mean, in, in terms of was just making sure that we could exist on the other side, so that we're then a, in a position to to recruit again. But it, it I, I suppose, it's as you say, it's it's all about that that balance. But your point about doing everything that you can first before you explore it, is, is I think, a, a prudent one.
2: Indeed. And no two businesses are in the same position, usually. So, you know, you sometimes have to let go of one thing to retain another. And at some stage, you have to let go of something to have something back. So, no, I completely agree. That balance is really important. And sometimes it's a number of factors that you consider, not just the immediate role and what it brings or what it doesn 't bring, but actually the bigger picture as a whole, because it 's almost like playing chess, sometimes whatever piece you move forward, it has an impact on the next couple of pieces that you'll be moving thereafter so no, yeah. I 'm completely with you Phil on that
1: great stuff anna what's uh, what's your general thoughts on redundancy because I suppose from your perspective you're working within HR you're kind of you can be at the sharp end of this decision whenever it's made within a business
3: I mean I definitely resonate with uh, what Nassar uh, just kindly shared I do think that the word like just in general redundancies we kind of just came out from a very surreal environment so you know when we think about redundancies we often think about the pandemic but obviously redundancies were there before the pandemic, you know, existed. Um, And I do definitely think that during the redundancies, you know, people did have to make very difficult decisions to make people redundant. And I don't, you know, I don't think that anybody took those decisions lightly. Yeah. And especially like the senior leaders, you know, themselves, even in the bigger organizations, you know, they really did try to do everything possible to save as many people's jobs as as possible it is never a pleasant a a pleasant thing but yeah at the end of the day it's kind of what you just mentioned is just you know if you don't have a business at the end of it you know there's just no way of of paying the employees in, in one way or the other so sometimes these decisions have to be made unfortunately so i'm not sure i mean the question is um i think it was if it's indispensable right i'm not sure it's it's so you know, black and white. The, I think it really depends on all the circumstances that that you're faced with.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I suppose it, it's there as the, it's there to protect in some ways the person who's being made redundant as well, as well as protecting the business, right? It's not just a case of that somebody can wake up one morning and go, you know what? You just... I don't like I don't like that person in my business so just get rid of them yeah you know it's there's got to be a it, there's a protection level there that if if it so happens that you know maybe somebody is just not performing or maybe they're just not right for the business or maybe that business performance generally is just down then there is that protection method for the business and the individual so that, uh, you know, it's not pleasant experience for anybody to go through. But at the same time, if it's a necessary evil, as Nassar says, then at least both parties are kind of protected in some way.
3: Yes, definitely. I do think that for sure, you know, no, no one will be using redundancy just because they want to get you know rid of someone. It just it, it's definitely when there is no other solution for the business to to survive. Uh, as we have seen in in many companies during during the pandemic, and you know it's very good, for example, in Nasara's business that they weren't that you know they managed to save all the roles um, that they have, but unfortunately not everybody was in in that same um, that same boat.
1: Yeah, absolutely, Giovanna. What what are your general thoughts on on redundancy?
0: Redundancy is when the employer, employer decided that they don't need an employee anymore, but a situation where the employees loses their job. And it could be because, in my opinion, it could be because they're closing down a business. Yep. And it could be because it could be the their employees' lack of performance at work. And like I've mentioned, they're closing down a hotel and like they could be moving to a different location.
1: Yeah. So there's all manner of reasons, really, that it can exist and why it's there as a as a method, really, to, as, as we discussed earlier on, to protect everyone involved, business mm-hmm. and individual. I think the key thing for me is, uh, well, this is actually, this would be a show of hands if we were in not in an audio only environment. But have any of you been ever been made redundant from a role in the past? Um,
3: I have not been made redundant in the past. However, my role was up for consultation before. And then it just so happened that that the circumstances changed. And I I stayed in in that role. And then I actually found a new job shortly after As When my role was up for consultation, we decided it was a collective consultation. So we all decided to reduce our hours uh, to save as many roles as possible. But also by the reduction of hours, you know, London is a very expensive city. And luckily, I then found an, another role just um, in the middle of, of the of the pandemic. Yeah. So I haven't actually gone through the re- redundancy per se, but definitely the initial conversations of, you know, your re- reduction of hours from all, all employees, etc.
1: Yeah. Actually, you you raise a really great point there around the fact that there there was a, a a situation whereby there was an an option for the team to come together and say, look, in order to for the the greater good, if you like, we will all do what we can to make sure that kind of nobody loses their job or certainly the minimal amount of people lose their job. That's actually a, a probably an under-discussed method, really. I mean, it's uh, it, it's it's well,
3: you'll you'll find that during the so. For a collective consultation to take place, you have to plan to effectively make more than 20 people at risk of redundancy. Um, right. So in the last couple of years, when redundancies, you know, majority of redundancies happened during the pandemic, let's say, in the businesses that were looking at redundancies, they were mostly, cons- you know, collective consultation as they were making more than 20 people uh, at risk of, of redundancy. Obviously, I'm generalizing here. I don't know every single business, but we can generalize that many of them did make more than 20 people redundant. And I was really surprised in the in the two places that I've worked in during the pandemic on how every employee in that department really wanted to help their colleagues. And everybody really yeah. wanted to say, okay, well, I'll take a 20 a twenty hour pay, uh, you know, twenty hour cut in my hours so that somebody else can have those twenty hours, which actually, when you think about it, it's it's such a a wonderful thing because you're not yeah. you're not leaving somebody, you know, out to dry, or you know people that were managers, you know, could have easily bumped their coordinators and said, well, you, instead of having two twenty hours, I can just take the role of you know the manager role and the coordinator role and do both roles myself but Mm -hmm. actually nobody was really doing that you know so much I mean obviously in some cases they these things happen and and that's the way that it is but I was very surprised in in the situations that I was personally involved in in the redundancies that you know I was doing as well that people were really compassionate and really wanted to help each other out in, in in the pandemic
1: yeah yeah, yeah. And that actually, that, that raises, you raise another good point here in the in the fact that that doesn't happen if you don't have a strong team culture. And that stems from, you know, I, I suppose allowing an organization to build its team and build its culture in a really strong way, because there's another benefit for you if you're doing that. You know, that when it comes to this point of no return whereby th- these decisions have to be made, is that rather than the team being a sum of individuals that don't really care too much about what happens and they're just out for themselves. Actually, there's a situation whereby all of the team were like, well, we don't want anybody to be suffering here. Exactly. And that that doesn't happen in every organization. But actually, if you're spending time focusing on making sure that your culture is great, then you you, you increase your chances when it gets to this stage that that you're going to have a reaction like that.
3: Yeah, and you know, a lot of people did take the voluntary redundancy, and they took this as an opportunity to go home. I mean, you know, I'm referring back to the pandemic time, but they did take this opportunity to go home and be with their families, or you know, a lot of people had their families abroad, etc., or take some mm-hmm. time out out of role. So there was some of some of that as well. That you know, at times it made it a little bit easier if somebody was to voluntarily take take that redundancy leave with an incentive, of course.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Nassar or Giovanna, have you ever experienced redundancy yourself from the perspective of being made redundant? Uh,
2: for me, I have not, personally. I mean, the closest I've got into experiencing something like that is not really redundancy. But when I was at Imperial College doing my thesis, I had a placement at Claridge's where I, you know, if you like, got injected with a hotel bug. But when I was there for six months doing my placement, uh, I was rotating with, between departments and, you know, going involved in the Investor in People program that Claridge's was putting in place at the time. So I was exposed to a number of amazing sort of experiences that I, I never forgot. But the end of that period, when I was getting to the end of my placement at Claridge's, I was told by the then general manager, that, look, Nasa, you've done so well, once you finish your degree, if you don't want to get into business and you want to come into hotels, do let me know you've got a job here, uh, because he was quite, obviously, I, I would have thought impressed with my input as a student, if you like. But anyway, uh, when I finished, I thought, well, I've got a job waiting for me at Claridge's, so do I take a gap year off? Do I go straight into hotel employment? I then called Claridge's to speak with the general manager then uh, but unfortunately he had left, and no one knew me right. no one knew me at the time there so I got close to a feeling of God I've lost out on a job that I should have got because oh, yeah. he promised to me at the time fresh out of uni uh, but never got round to doing it so um if if, it, if that's a similar feeling as a, a student without any money at the time, just finishing university and really wanting to work and earn some money, that was the closest I, I got to experiencing that. But I have to say, Phil, I've been at the other end of it where, you know, through my career, I've had to make people redundant. And it's very, very unpleasant. It's very, very, very uneasy when you know that it's not affect, it's not just affecting the person, but there is the impact on a family, and uh, there's the impact of a livelihood, and uh, this person is leaving when the others are staying. And when you look at it in that context, it's never an easy conversation to be had. So I've, I've had situations where I've had tears because I was losing people that I have no choice but lose, however, uh, I could feel their pain in an indirect way.
1: Yeah, no, I I, I get you. I mean, especially in a, a an industry that, which is so people-focused. You know, you can't help, if you're in this industry for the people reasons, amongst other things, then you can't help but build bonds with people, can you? And then when you've got to sit with them and, actually as you say impacting their life in in such a a big way it can be soul destroying but we'll come back to that because that's a it's a key point that that i think we'll we'll definitely explore that a little bit giovanna have you ever i I know that you're kind of at the beginning of your career but have you ever faced redundancy in in the past uh no not yet okay great well that's good but this is kind of i suppose the reason why this subject matter came into my head because I have been made redundant in my my lifetime, and it's something that at the time shook me to my core. But in actual fact, because of that, it was actually one of the greatest things that ever happened to me, because I was working for a recruitment company at the time. It was just in the back of the two thousand and eight nine crash, and in the run up to that, recruitment was very very easy. You know, it wasn't about being a, a front foot recruiter and always being ahead of things, it was about reacting to the fact that the phone was never off the hook, asking for for help for, for people, et cetera, et cetera. And then you flip that on its head. And immediately I went into a situation whereby I just didn't have the skills to be able to thrive in that environment. So it was absolutely, and I knew this the day that they made me redundant, it was absolutely the right decision to make me redundant from that role at that time. And it still didn't, at the time, it, didn't, it affected me in a way. I was like, right, what now? Like, I, I don't really know what I'm going to do next because, you know, the world is financially in a crash, you know, going into another recruitment role makes no sense and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it actually made me self-analyze on so many levels that it's actually, a, it's to me, it's it's the major catalyst as to why I'm here now doing what I do. And so that for me is why I think redundancy needs to be discussed a lot more because we only ever talk about the fact that it's when you're sat in front of somebody you you know, and you have this conversation which is uncomfortable for everybody involved, that that's it. But actually, it can be such an amazing thing for somebody's life. So that's, I suppose, why we're here talking about this today because that's my own lived experience of it. I'm aware of other people who feel the same but at the time it can feel like the most uncomfortable thing that you're going through but equally and that's probably a discussion for a a much more philosophical topic but actually you sometimes need these moments of hell to get to the heaven as it were because it makes you kind of realize that you know things were either too easy for you before you need to upskill you need to do all of these other things that make you a better human being and a better employee That's my rant for the day.
3: (laughs) I mean, definitely throughout, I mean, I I did make people redundant during the the pandemic in in my last role. And it was incredible to see how many people just completely changed their life um, during this period. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm so just, happy and really really grateful that that they found you know their, their true calling in a way actually my brother himself was made redundant during the pandemic he was um he was working for you know lqa like a mystery guest like a, you know the people that go around hotels and, and grade them so he had a fantastic job prior to to the pandemic and obviously with the travel restrictions etc he was made redundant and it was a really hard time at the beginning but then he just you know started doing a, another master's uh, he graduated with Flying Colors, Um, you know, Val Victorian, whatever, and then just got a new job in, in, in a completely different industry, doing something completely different that he really, really, really enjoys. Uh, and so many people started their own business. So it was, you know, like you're saying, in a way it does empower people to take those risks that they've always wanted to take, yeah. and, but were a bit maybe comfortable not to take them. And then you're finding yourself in an uncomfortable situation where you can really gives you the opportunity to you know reinvent yourself in a, in a way
1: yeah so how do we as businesses then i suppose when it comes to sitting in front of somebody and having that conversation with them i think the question i wrote was is redundancy it what happens next how do we kind of or maybe this happens already I, I, I'm, I'm not privy to kind of how companies handle this across the board but so
3: usually what happens if in a normal situation when you're not in the middle of a pandemic, (laughs) is that a lot of, I mean, and this is hospitality specific, is that um, many companies that have, you know, closed, for example, for major refurbishments, have done redundancies before, would invite other employers to help employees find a new role within usually hospitality. So for example, um, they could do like a career day where they would invite other employers that are looking for similar roles and help their employees with, you know, CV building workshops on how to do interviews. You know, you perhaps have employees that have been there for 20 years, right? What's next for them? They haven't been for an interview for probably 20 years as well. So helping them in in creating and, and having, you know, those, you know, job interviewing skills, etc also when you're not in the middle of a pandemic and this is obviously you know these redundancies are planned you you know if you're closing a hotel for example you could do like change management workshops or other workshops that could help employees to really get ready for what's what's coming next in, in a way yeah but i do think that in the last redundancies, as we were in the middle of a pandemic, the most difficult thing that was for, you know, GMs and and, and everybody else was just the unknown. So, yeah. you know, I, I remember very well, we had the first furlough scheme and then the furlough scheme was actually due to end uh, and it was around Halloween day. I left the office. I prepared all the letters, sent out all these letters for the new scheme, which I don't even remember what the new scheme was called. And this was after the you know we had just done planned all the redundancies, etc. And as I left work, I was going to go out, and I remember that as soon as I stepped out to go out for dinner, the announcement came up that furlough was extended. On you know, and this was like a Friday night, and it was extended from the Monday morning, so. Yeah. You have all these, you know, thousands of letters that you have to redo and processes to rethink, et cetera. So it was just the fact that there was no, you know, real clear timeline on how long is this going to last? How long do we have furlough? How, you know, and that was I don't, I don't know if either Giovanna or Nassar had a different you know, view on, on this, but uh, that's how we felt for sure. Just not knowing exactly at what point the support was going to end or when things would change
1: yeah that i mean that was that was absolutely the critical thing wasn't it is that nobody knew really from week to week what happens next like you know how long are we doing this for when are we reopening and it also gave us they they gave us such short windows to change that it really tested everybody's resolve but i suppose that they, at the same time it was one of those things well what choice do we have we've got to protect the business as much as we can, protect our employees as much as we can. If this is what we've been given, then let's just do it.
2: Yeah, yeah, that, that's exactly, exactly. it. Um, I, think, um, I think the government themselves were not sure because it was a dynamic situation. They were not sure themselves what happens next. And I'm sure there were a lot of discussions taking place behind the scenes between number 10 and number 11 as to You know, what do we do next? Are we going to have another announcement of extending the lockdown? You know, our business is going to open. Then we had that very short kind of opening. And then it was back again to square one. And I do share what Anna was saying to the extent that because of the uncertainty as businesses, you're almost left not knowing what to say to people when they ask you, you know, Is this going to last? Would we have our jobs after the next two months? And what's going to happen? Should we be looking for something else? And, you know, it has left a lasting impact on the industry as a whole, because now the opposite is happening. I mean, we're struggling to find talent. We're struggling to fill in essential and vital roles. I mean, it's not just even hotels, but restaurants, even airports airlines are struggling so much because it was just the unknown that meant that because no one had had to deal with anything like that, you are, you are less prepared, you are prepared for what is going to happen next and that combined with Brexit's idea say the B word which, yeah. um, which has caused so much challenges for hospitality as a whole, we're now in, in, a, in a state of reverse if you like And I'm sure a lot of companies are now thinking we wish we had find a way to retain some of those talents that we let go. Some of which have moved on and changed careers. Some of them, you know, are not sure they want to come into full time employment again. And hospitality is uniquely placed in many ways to demand that employees come to work every day. And as you know, Phil, for someone in your position, I'm sure you know better than I do, that actually a lot of, when you talk to candidates now for recruitment, a lot of those people are looking for flexibility and flexible working hours, which unfortunately in hospitality sometimes that's not possible because you cannot man a reception or a concierge desk or, or serve guests from home unless you are office-based, as it were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's
1: definitely a topic for another discussion, I think. But I I agree with you 100%. There's, um, we're There's, still in a period of adaption, aren't we, from the pandemic and what all that brought with, coupled with Brexit, coupled with working pattern changes, all of these things, none of us have the answers for at this precise moment. But they're just like everything that comes along, right? That's just a new set of challenges that we work through And I'm sure when we get to the end of those challenges, other challenges will have presented themselves. It just seems to be the way of the world. And that's why, you know, we are the industry that we are. We're incredibly adaptable, much like it's kind of coming back. This is a nice little segue back to redundancy. That is Um, true.
0: And also I was going to say that redundancy can also affect, it has a negative impact as well on anxiety and depression because I was like I said like two years ago, during this lockdown, like the employee decided that they had to get rid of people because of covid, and it was very difficult because many people they struggle to find work and and it's very hard
1: yeah yeah i I, I think that's it's a really good point and I, I we haven't gone down into the um the the anxiety element of it uh, actually as we've discussed this in any great detail but you know there's quite there's quite a lot to process in in a a redundancy situation where not just for the person who is being made redundant but for the person who is making people redundant you know who helps them in that process is there a is there a process whereby you, you get trained in how to to deal with this or you know is it just something that you have to get thrown in at the deep end and kind of learn on the job Mm. Anna, have you got any thoughts um, on that Because you're, you're, I, mean, I suppose you're kind of well placed. Yeah, <laughs> um, I know. I,
3: unfortunately, the, at the moment, I mean, in, not that I know of. I don't think that there is like a, a program that trains you on on how to to do redundancy. I mean, on the process itself, yes. Like, right, this is the steps. Like, these are the number of consultations you need to have, or this is the structure of the meetings, or you know, whatever um yeah. but on the emotional side of it um i don't think that there is kind of a training that can prepare you for what you're going to experience and also each meeting that you will have with each individual will be so different and people yeah. will take this on such a different way so what happens is that when you start working with a with an employer you have something called like a psychological contract and what this is, is that it's like an unspoken, unwritten contract between the employer and the employee. So it's your expectations on, on, on the employer and, and vice versa. And essentially what, what happens is that people f- may feel and that, you know, everybody reacts differently, but as the psychological contract is broken, they may feel betrayed or they may feel angry or they may feel, you know, there's so many emotions and I mean, Phil, you yourself may have experienced these than when you know you shared your your experience with us and it it is quite challenging from the person that's doing the redundancies to to witness these emotions and to you know you kind of feel like you are doing this to the person even though yeah that's not actually what what's what's happening you are in a situation where you know you're having to make these decisions it's not like you know, it's yeah. an easy situation it's, to. to it
1: is that old uh, "it's nothing personal" kind of thing, right? But of course, it, it feels like it's personal when you're when you're going through it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but even
3: for the, you know, for like the leaders of the business, I mean you know, it was so hard, they were not sleeping, you could really see that they were, you know, in distress, they've known, and they've built relationships with with these people. I mean, some of them had been in the business for many years. And you know, you know, their whole, you know, you've been with this employee for, you know, their weddings, their breakups, their life journeys, their you know you can get quite close even if it's a professional relationship you're still kind of you're still there in the office eight hours a day if not more yeah with this person that's working next to you so you probably see this person more than you see you know your your partners or whatever so you do get close to to your your team and it it is definitely really really hard to to be in the position of, of making the the call and the redundancy. Sorry, I suppose
1: yeah. I'm not there. But, um... no, 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 I, I all very, very re- very relevant. And and actually from that that same experience that I had, I, I had the situation whereby the lady who was my immediate boss was the, the person who was making me redundant. And we were we were friends to a point, not you know, in the close circle yeah. of friends, but friends for sure. And so when she was delivering the information to me, she was bless her, I you know, I could see emotionally It was taking its toll on her because I also wasn't the only one. That was the thing, and you know she was one of the 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 strongest emotional people that I have ever come across. So for her to be feeling that, uh, you know, at that time, I think it's definitely something that we we need to be fully aware of. That if you're asking somebody to to deliver this to people within your business, then make sure that the aftercare for that individual who's doing it is there. Like it's not just don't just leave them to hang out to dry like you're the one that's going to do that and then you know that's it
3: i mean we implemented some um like mental health support uh during this period for all of our employees so for the people that were going through the actual redundancies and for people that were doing redundancy but then you never know how you know if people because they don't tell you exactly, you know, you don't know the details of who's gone to it and how successful it was, unless somebody shares it directly with you. So you, I'm not, you know, I can't guarantee that, that it was a, a super used service, but you know, it was definitely provided, but I definitely think we need more support on that. I do think that perhaps the, like the communities, like what, you know, hospitality action was, um, was very active during the pandemic. I think you, your podcasts were quite popular during the pandemic. I remember listening to a few. They're,
1: they're still, they're still popular. They're, yeah, they are. <laughs>
3: um, But as in, you know, there was a lot of community coming together. And I thought that was yeah. really important throughout. I mean, I remember there were, you know, some that stood out to me personally, but I'm sure you guys have your own communities that, that reached out. I remember people delivering meals, for example, and, and things yeah. like that, which was uh, really
1: really. I, I think that's a wonderful point, Anna, around community. And that's, that's actually where I think hospitality can really, really win. Yeah. Because and especially on the back of the, the pandemic, it's felt like we've come together more than we ever have done before to help, support, share knowledge, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And we really need to harness that if we're going to win in all of the challenges that, that come our way. I think that's a, a really wonderful way to kind of round it up, to be honest, because I'm eminently conscious of time, but also I feel we've we've left a lot out here yet yet to be uncovered. So that, again, this is another one that might get a part two in the future. One very quick question, and I don't know if we'll have any answers to this today, but I, I just wanted to ask it anyway. Is there a better word rather than redundancy? Anybody got any ideas on that at all? And I'd I'd just give you time to think about that while I explain. We come back to my lived experience of this, whereby it was actually a catalyst to something better. So you know, redundancy makes it sound like, "Oh, you're you're redundant." And I suppose the point to remember with that is, it's actually not the human that's being made redundant; it's the role that's being made redundant. But a lot of us, you know, take that as we're being made redundant. But is there anybody any thoughts? if there's a better word out there that we could use, somebody's Googling something.
2: (laughs) That's um, that's a, you know, that's a a good point, Phil, um, because it's not the person, it's actually the role. However, people do take it personal because (laughs) it's them that have been asked to kind of cease working from that moment on. And they can't help but think that it's something about them or with them whilst you were asking the question, I was actually thinking what would be a better way of describing the process or what was you know what was happening, whether it is some sort of pause rather than making the role entirely redundant. however, mm-hmm. by virtue or by design, the word redundancy refers to, you not been able to reuse that role for a period of time uh, or perhaps not reignite the role. So you have to consider that if you come up with another way of describing the process or, or the nature of what's about to happen because yeah. the, the, the entire notion behind redundancy is that you are making that position redundant because it's, it's of no use to the business as it stands. And therefore you know you should not be able to get in someone else to do that role uh, in the near future so that, that that's a conundrum that one has to think about but your question is, is quite hard to, to, to answer in a word
1: yeah totally I, I like asking hard questions <laughs> <laughs> no that's cool I fully appreciate that that's it's a it's a really it's also quite an airy question very open-ended you could go in there i mean you know it depends on the individual it depends on the circumstances it depends on lots of different things no great look thank you so much guys for your time today as i say there's there's more to be discussed i'm sure around this topic i think the the key takeaways for me are we probably do need to look into exploring how we help people deliver redundancy but also how just how we're protecting people's mental health and self-worth and all of that around what can be a really traumatic experience for, for both parties in that process. I'm, I'm just going to leave, as I like to do occasionally, I, I'm a, quite a philosophical person. I think that the, the key thing for me, if you're ever in a position whereby you are about to be made redundant, is that the role that you do does not define you as a human being. You're incredibly adaptable. As a species, we are the most adaptable species on the planet. Don't let your role define you as a human being. It's always your actions that define you. Take your moment to deal with it and process it as you see fit, but then realize that you are incredibly adaptable to what happens next. And that's all about you. You control your next response. So with that piece of philosophy, I bid you all farewell. And thank you again for for your time and wish you all a very pleasant day ahead thank, uh, thank you. you thank
2: you many thanks Phil and let's catch up again sometime soon fantastic absolutely take care guys uh, bye bye thank you Goodbye.
1: bye i Today's episode of I'm In was brought to you by Cater.com and the Savoy Educational Trust and covered redundancy with Giovanna Zakanda AIH Anna Ofiero MIH Nassar Khalil FIH and hosted by Phil Street FIH As always a huge shout out to the IOH's very own Sonia Criswell AIH for artwork and branding and Leon Williams FIH for the music To say I'm In and feature on a future episode contact Phil.Street at instituteofhospitality.org and to find out more about the Institute of Hospitality or to join our hospitality family please click the links in the show notes Thanks so much for listening and join us next Next time we'll be once again delving into mindset versus experience.